everyone. Welcome to the Brazosport Vineyard. Good morning. And I'm giving a shout out to Craig, who is in far parts of the world uh, this morning. He's supposed to be listening. It's not morning where he is. We're continuing with our message, Who Am I Now? Just what happens to us when we enter into a relationship with Jesus? What, what happens to us? And uh, I have these subtitles down there uh, that, that come out of the scripture. We, we become a foreigner here. Um, we become an heir to the throne. And the way the language says this in the scripture is really, it, it sounds different than it is. You see, we become heirs because Father God adopts the people. That's what happens. That's, that's really the transition that's happening is there's an adoption. And he says that he calls us sons and daughters, heirs with Jesus. That's the language in the scripture. He calls us ambassadors because, you see, as we enter into that relationship with him, we are really entering into his domain, his dominion. And this is really the language of a kingdom. A kingdom is a dominion. It's a domain. It's a, it's not, we think of it as a geography. But a kingdom is actually that dominion, that domain. So you'll hear that language with Satan, Satan's dominion. And we think of it as Satan's power over people, uh, what he dominates, what he controls. See, when we enter that relationship with Jesus, we become someone in his kingdom, someone in his, his uh, family, someone in his reality. And so it's very different than it is here. And we looked at some of that. We're going to look at that again. It's very different than the dominions of earth. As you would think, God's dominion should be different than the dominions on earth. It calls us peacemakers and that we are a light to the world. So God's intentions, God's purpose, according to the scripture, is that his desire is to rescue humanity. His desire is to be restored in relationship with humanity. That's his purpose. That's his focus. That's his intention. If he wanted to judge humanity... And, and have humanity pay the, the appropriate price, he would have already done that. He doesn't need 2,000 years to exact justice. So if he was just after cleaning the slate that humanity has screwed up, he would have done that. So there has to be something else in play. And, and what scripture reveals is that what's in play is the restoration of what was lost in the Garden of Eden, and that is his relationship with humanity. This is the intention of the Gospels, the intention of the journey, and it's why Jesus came. So we talked, we shared a few of these things last week, this idea that when we become members of the kingdom, when we become people that reflect who he is, what he is, and how he does it. When we become true reflectors of those things, it will be a huge shift for us. We often think that religions, uh, and, and this is across most religions, that they're kind of add-ons for many people, and especially in the West. Um, I'm an American, I'm a Houstonian, I'm a, 
I'm a UT person or a whatever, A&M or whatever you are, Penn State, Florida State, whoever you are. And, and then on top of that, if I didn't mention your school, you can deal with me later. But, but on top of that, we add identities. But our first identity is that we are a human being. And we share that with human beings around the world. And we have that capacity. And all of these other labels will divide. All of them. All of them divide. All of them separate. All of them. It decides who is and who isn't. We can say we're the tall people. We can say we're the short people. We're the white people. We're the brown people. We can say we're the educated people. Uh, we're the rich people. They're the poor people. And we can have all those labels, American, Mexican. We can have all those labels. But at the end of the day, they divide. That's what the labels do. And so when we are passionate about our labels, then how we will appear is passionate about our separation. We will become, we will appear passionate about those distinctions. And there will be those who are part of our passion and those who are anti-part of our passion. And you see, this is the reality. This is the world, the domain that Jesus comes into. What he does is he restores the dignity and the honor of humanity that we were created in the image of God. We were not created to divide. We were created to be together. Everything divides us. These people eat meat. These people don't. These people eat vegetables. These people don't. These people, you know, like these things. These people don't. Everything divides us, especially our religions. And when I say religions, <clears throat> you can be vineyard and disagree to the point where you separate. You don't even have to get out of your peeps. How, how do we even see that in our families? We can have, you know, the Laswell family, yet we find we are, there are differences that we don't like. We don't talk to that part of the family. Well, they think this, or they do this, or they voted this way. They're the ones that they took the money. They took the inheritance. We got nothing. We don't talk to them. So see, money separated us. And we equated money and honor as the same. And we're divided. This is the reality. It's not a world condition, it's a human condition. It's our condition. And when Jesus steps into that, and it's why we began to look at, and this is often called how we see uh, poverty, how we see uh, debt or, or programs. Uh, they might make us Republicans, it might make us Democrats, it might make us communists or socialists. But what it does is it separates us along the lines of what we believe are the value systems that are correct. Does that make sense? That's how it divides us. That's what politics do. They divide us along lines of what we think is the right way to do society. And, and religions do the exact same thing. So when we come into the scripture, we see what Jesus introduces. We see that he's going to challenge every part 
of our identity, our understanding of right and wrong. How we view ourselves. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like watermelon? Okay. How many of you have put salt on your watermelon before? You like salt on your watermelon. How many of you think that it just defiles watermelon? Okay, we got some hands up. In a, and, and Chile, yeah. All right, you see, you see, there are people in my extended family, if they see you put salt on watermelon, they will criticize you. And then next week, if you put salt on your watermelon, they will criticize you. It's like, I really already know your view of salt on watermelon. We don't have to repeat it. Every time you see me put salt on what I see people pointing at one another right now. <clears throat> you see, in, in our minds, if you are against salt, that ain't right. That ain't right. As my father would say, ain't supposed to. That's how he would, he would say that. Our sense of right and wrong. It's a bigger thing than you think. We can talk about watermelon and salt. But our sense of right and wrong is vast. It covers everything. How we view ourselves, how we view God, how we view others. All of these things, Jesus says, if you walk with me, we're going to change all of that. Because what you have has been formed and fashioned in society that uses a system of right and wrong and values that we are not going to use anymore. And you will see how vast it is and how incredibly it changes everything in your life. So we're not going to create a better you. We're going to create a new you. It'll be a new you. We're not going to fix the old one. And it says, he makes all things new. And he restores the image of honor of humanity that we were created to be in the image of God. That's, that's what's at stake here. So when we marginalize or we minimize transformation or changing uh, what we do is we marginalize, we minimize our very identity, the very purpose of God, the very plan of God. So when we sing songs like these songs, it is well with my soul. And you might be sitting there and you have rough things going on in your life, difficult reversal. You go, but Bill, it's not well with my soul. My soul is not okay. You see, that's... That's it. That's the trick right there. You see, it can't just be words. It has to be true. That's why it's beyond your willpower. It's not what your willpower is going to produce. It's not your sense of values. It's not your right and wrong. It's not what you believe to be true. It won't be any of those things. None of those things are going to change something that is not well in your soul and make it well in your soul. See, these are the things, this list is what he wants to touch. All of it. We're going to cover these next three slides fairly quickly because they're from last week. 
but it's this introduction to the new compass, this new way of viewing humanity, new way of viewing the world, new way of viewing you and God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it, it has this description, um, <clears throat> you know, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong, I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift, and what it's doing is it's saying, this is kind of a spiritual lineup. If I am a spiritual powerhouse, but it is not motivated and rooted in love, and I am not grounded in love, it will ultimately be a noise, and it will ultimately die a death without fruit. So we can look at the greatest spiritual powerhouses, and we can say, if they're not motivated and rooted in love, what they are producing will not last. Then it goes on and it begins to describe after it says, these things will pass away and they will produce nothing of substance. And it comes back and now it begins to line up. It's taking away a worldview. Do you see how for spiritual people, it's, it's taking that away. It's saying all of the things in your religious paradigm that you thought were important and powerful in substance to build your life around it's saying, None of those are the direction of life. And he comes back and says, what is? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. What if other people are dishonorable? Can you honor someone who is dishonorable? You can. You know, can we treat someone who is evil, can we treat them with kindness and grace? We can. You see, can we be patient with people who don't deserve our patience? We can. This is what love does. You see how it changes everything? You see, when it's okay, when this person has acted in a way that I need to exact some justice. And Jesus would say, what if I would do it different? What if I would approach this injustice different? And Jesus could come back and say, in fact, in your life, I have approached the injustice that you commit different. I mean, if every time I thought something wrong, I did something wrong, I behaved poorly, if, if every time Jesus like hit me with a stick, I would have been dead like so long ago. All right, so the stick is not the solution for people changing, is it? So if the stick, using the stick where it's appropriate, does not get you honor, it does not produce life, and it does not produce change in them, then why don't we lay down the stick? And this is what Jesus is saying. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. And what it says is love never fails. Love never comes up empty. Love never loses.
All these things will go away. Verse 13 on the next slide. The greatest things remain. That's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. You see, your new world is about faith, hope, and love. And that, begins the, that becomes the conscience, the motivation. It becomes the measuring stick for other people. It becomes the measuring stick for yourself. Now, we add to this the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most famous sermons in history. And it's one Jesus gives. And it really kind of starts his, his uh, ministry with this sermon. Now, I, I broke it down just to punch lines, but if we read the Sermon on the Mount, um, somebody get that, would you please? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Right here. <clears throat> All right. And so he begins this sermon with these series of blessings. But when we look at it, we don't really know where he's going with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure at heart. What about blessed are the powerful? <clears throat> blessed are those who are feeding the poor. Blessed are those who are building homes for the homeless. Do you have that? Can you bring it to me? <clears throat> uh, this is a different translation, but it works great. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. With blessed, there is more of God and his rule. Blessed are you when you feel you are lost lost what is most dear to you, only then can you embrace the one most dear to you. You see, he, he shows the backside of the blessing, how it comes out as a blessing. He goes on, blessed are the peacemaker, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you. There are very few of us in our paradigm, in our worldview, would say, wow, I was so blessed today. These people called me ugly names. I, I consider it a win for today. This is how different it is. And he's trying to let people know. This is not what you think it is when I show up. When I come as a king, this is not going to be what you think it is. It's not going to be, I'm coming to power up on the world and show them who's boss. That's not what he came to do. He didn't have to come here to do that. He certainly didn't have to come as a human to do that. He wouldn't have to show up at all. But he did show up, and he showed up as a human being. Someone with flesh and blood. And he said, where I come from, my kingdom, my world. When somebody insults me, I know that I'm on the front line of blessing someone that other people aren't blessing. Speaking forgiveness, encouragement, life to someone 
overlooking an insult to bless someone. I'm in a position to change something. A raw nerve in somebody's life has been exposed, and here I am. And this is my moment to be who I am, my identity, and my Father in heaven. These are what the aliens from God's place look like. They're always a blessing to the world. Always. And you see, to be a blessing to the world who's going to insult you will have to be that you can take an insult and that that insult can produce life. You're going to have to be someone who can be persecuted even when you're doing things right. You're going to have to be someone who can flourish in that spot. Not survive, not be silent, not shut down, but flourish. That's the life he's representing here. When, when people were listening to this for the first time, they're going, man, what is he getting at? This is a weird dude. He is a weird dude. What he said is, I'm not from here. Don't let the skin and bones fool you. I ain't from here. I am nothing like you. But you were created to be like me. And that's why I'm here. So he begins this shift. And all of a sudden, the things that are so important in the world and how we distinguish ourselves, how we collect honor for ourselves, how we, how we find success and how people come to envy us. You know, how successful I am. How much money and wealth I have gained. How much power and influence I have. My talents, my skills, what I have accomplished. My looks, my personality, my strength. All these things are things the world can, can want and envy. And Jesus would say, none of these were you able to do on your own? I, I put all of those things in you. But they were not so that you could gain fame and fortune. They were not so that you could be envied by the world. They were not so that girls would want to follow you or guys, depending. They were not for these things. You were created in the image of your Father in heaven for the purpose of revealing and reflecting him. So even when you were created to be six foot one and you know 245 and you can slam dunk a basketball with both hands, you can you know sing like Freddie Mercury, you can do all these things. And what he would say is, you know, none of that was so that you could gain fame and fortune. Your Father in heaven says, it's so that I could gain fame and fortune in a people who need me. It was always about me. But you see, in our world, when we're separated with God, we make it about us. That's on the world part. And then we have the spiritual part. And the same thing is true. My spiritual gifts, that's, 
That's, you know, we can use spiritual gifts, our ability to lead, spiritual influence and following our accomplishment in signs and wonders, maybe our generosity, we feed the poor, we take care of the lost, you know, we're sacrificial, we self-denial, and great knowledge and understanding from the scripture. And Jesus would say, that's not it. The spiritual world will look at you, they will envy you and love you, respect you, give you honor. But it isn't about you. Jesus said, it's about me. You are empowered this way for a time such as this. You were created in history with a purpose, a season, giftings, talents, callings. You are a package of his design. And that design under his power, under his rule, will do amazing things and have amazing effect on the world around you. Ephesians 4 says, this will call for and will produce in you uh, new attitudes in your mind and it will create a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now righteousness and holiness, as we package it most of the time in the world, is just that you don't do wrong. You know, I'm not going to do wrong in my heart. I'm not going to do wrong out here. That's righteous and holy. That's not true. Righteous and holy means that you are like him. You move like him. You think like him. You cry like him. You love like him. You, you, you are, um, give me the word, persevering like him. That was it. You, you can go the distance like him. On task with him. Operating in love. You see, the challenge is when Jesus takes it to this level where it says, okay, I'm not going to take into account a wrong committed. I'm going to hope all things, believe all things. I'm going to always trust. And you hear these things and you go, that'll get you killed. Back in my neighborhood, that'll get you killed. And Jesus would say, not if you're with me in your neighborhood. We don't get killed. We change the world. And even if you die in your neighborhood, I will use it to change the world. So in my weaknesses, he is strong. But I must understand I have weaknesses. I can't always say it's well with my soul. If it's not well with my soul, it's just wishing. I wish it was well with my soul. Or we're singing the songs, so I'm going to go ahead and say it's well with my soul. But it ain't well with my soul. So the question is, is he just asking you to wish You see, in my weakness, is he really strong? 
in my weakness? What does it look like for him to be strong? Why do my weaknesses kick my butt? Why does that always seem to be the issue is my weaknesses are always in the dance of my life. And the scripture tells us that the reason the Holy Spirit, the part of God that comes, takes up residence in our soul, in our life, becomes, what it says, it actually becomes a part of our conscience. Becomes a part of our story. But it moves with the power of God. And the transformation starts where the Spirit is connecting with you and I. You know, <clears throat> I might say no to some thing I want to do that I shouldn't. I might say no to even a thought. I say, no, I'm not going to think that. That's great. But what the Spirit wants to do is change so that I'm not overriding who I really am. So that I operate naturally out of my redemption not overpowering my flesh to function in redemption, but operating and acting out of that redemption. <clears throat> that, that is what the Spirit does. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture says that when we invite Jesus into our life, that the Spirit comes in and stays in each of us. So each of us who accept Jesus the Spirit of Christ comes and dwells in us. And, it, and, and it, ha, it says he will be our counselor. He will be the truth. He will remind us of truth. He will be our companion. All these names, very practical. But they're names you need. They're, they're roles that you need him to play in all of these moments that become difficult. We shared from last week out of 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul is saying, you know, I've made myself to a slave to those who are slave, not that I'm a slave. I've made myself a Jew to those who are Jew. I've made myself a Roman to those who are Roman. I made myself, I can be anything I need to be to connect with people where they're at. See, that's what a citizen of the kingdom can do. <clears throat> when I go other places, there are many places, obviously, that do not like the United States. When I go there, <clears throat> I don't need to say, well, I'm from the United States. Now, some places, you're smart not to do that just for safety reasons. But the truth is, it's not really an important point. Not important where I'm from. Because if people were to say, where are you from? What I know in my heart is I'm from the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God loves every nation, every people group, every tribe, everybody. And that's his pursuit, everybody. I can't miss. <clears throat> so, you know, I, and I, in different parts of the world, I've had lots of conversations about the United States. But I find people, in general, they want to hear what I have to say. And in general, what I want to do even if the U.S. does some things well, 
It's not because the U.S. is better. We just happen to have some things there that we did well. And we do some things well. And there are things other places do really well. Really well. We are such an I place. We are so individual here. Uh, but when I go to Jordan, I'm invited into their house. They don't have very much. They make me tea. They'll spend their whole day talking with me and hosting me. And you won't find friendlier people than that part of the world. You won't find more hospitable people th than, than there. But I can come here in the United States and I can be completely invisible my entire life unless I make an effort. There are things we do well. There are things we don't do well. But, the, but what happens is when we take on identities that conflict with our identity in Christ, then this identity will be the one that people need to see. Because that's what God is doing. <clears throat> I use the language that Paul, his bandwidth was wide so that he could relate and connect to people so that he could relate and connect to people. I was talking to Melinda. Melinda's from Florida. Melinda's my wife. I was talking to Melinda, and she would always talk about she's from Florida. Now, she's lived in Texas longer than she's lived in Florida. So we'd talk to people, and they would say, oh, where are you, where are you from? She would say Florida. But the point is, she's not from Florida, if we're in Colorado. She's from here. She's from Texas. That's where she's from. Now, they didn't say, where were you born? They said, where were you born? Tell them where you were born. And so she didn't get it. I said, all right, let me, let me try it this way. If we were living in Mexico, and we were living in Zacatecas, and we were in Mazatlan, and people said, where, where, where are you from? We would say, I said, what would you say? She said, I would say Zacatecas. I said, why? Why would you say that? Because I want to culturally connect with them. There you go. So, and from, from then on, she said, she's a Texan. I'm from Texas. I'm a Texan. If people ask her, and she's from Pensacola. It's a great place to, I mean, beautiful beaches. It's wonderful. But you see, relating to people, I'll be a Texan. I'll be, I'll be anything I can... I can be without just lying. I'll, I'll be whatever I can be so that people can feel comfortable with me so that they will have the opportunity to experience Jesus because I'm here. And when that becomes more important than my honor and my pride and my money and my time, when it becomes more important than everything else, that people can see that my identity is in Jesus, that my life is in him, and that I am restored in him, I am loved in him, I am rooted in him. When people can see and experience that in a way that they say, I wish I had that. Here's, here's what happens to us. Every name you've been called it's in you. 
every disappointment you've had, every regret you've experienced, every hope that fell short, every time you were rejected, all of it is there. All of it is right there. Not one piece of it is gone. Whether you remember it or not, it's there. And it's imprinted on your identity. It's imprinted there. By this time tomorrow, more things will be imprinted. And the day after that, these are all going on to your identity. That's how sensitive we are. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. It has the power to alter that printing. It has the power to remove the printing that mislabels you and I. So when we begin to follow in and live in. So my, my previous printing is going to make me respond to you in certain ways. But when I allow Jesus to take his place in me, and I know that his way is better, not only does he stop the moment, but he begins to change what's been imprinted on me. And then I become different. What is imprinted has to be dealt with. Every experience, good and bad, has to be addressed. And the Holy Spirit does that. And when he does that, that begins to set us free. When we, when we talk about a life of obedience, when we talk about a life where we're never going to see anything wrong in our life is wrong, we're going to say it's well with our soul, we're going to love our enemies, we're going to pray for those who persecute us, we're not going to take into account that, you know, these people jacked me over, and we're, we're you know, we're going to kind of make everything good for everybody, and we're just going to take the hit on that. Without the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what you're doing. The Holy Spirit makes it possible and powerful for you and I to really be this. I mean, in real time, be this. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What does he say? Take my yoke on you and learn from me. Take my identity. Take the way I live. Do what I do. Take it on you and learn how to be this. And you're going to find it is really easy compared to what you're doing. What does it say? I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you're going to find rest for your soul. It doesn't sound like it's going to be rest for my soul. If I, if I am victimized by everyone, if I always have to suck it up, if I have to be silent about the injustices in my life, if I, if I can't bring some control in my own circumstances, it doesn't sound like it's going to be restful to me. Jesus could say, I, I, I hear you.
But if you take my yoke, if you live like I do, and you learn from me, I promise you, you're going to find it's easy. We make following Jesus the hardest thing on the planet. Because to do that, I have, I have to suffer and sacrifice. And I would, I would suggest, if that's true, then we have a lot to learn about the difference between sucking it up and sacrificing and living the abundance of what the Spirit does in the moment. Does that make sense? The Spirit operating in the moment can address all the failings, yours, mine, ours. It can address the shortcomings in our life, whether they are mine, created by me, or whether they were created by someone else. If I'm in the woods and I get bit by a poisonous snake, I can beat that snake to death, but it won't change my outcome, will it? Everything that needs to be fixed in your world is right inside you. Everything that needs to be fixed. I don't care who did what. Everything that needs to be fixed is right here. That doesn't mean I don't have relationships that need to be mended. It doesn't mean that there isn't stuff that happens this way. It means that the first thing that happens is I am, I am taken care of by the Spirit, and that allows me to supernaturally address the flaws in my relationship, my circumstances. And then I'm not continuing to pay a price over and over forever. Because sacrificing and suffering, even to the point of giving your own life, unless you were following Jesus and that happened, then you probably wasted your life. This group of people who chooses to trust that the Holy Spirit can truly change how we live from the inside out, can truly change how we see ourselves, how we see others, can truly change the concept of patience and kindness, can truly change how we're affected by injustice uh, toward us or toward others, that we are truly a part of the answer everywhere we go, that we're truly a part of blessing everywhere we go, that we never lose our temper. We're never struggling. Why? Because we're living in a constant renewal, a constant mending that the Spirit is doing. Instead of just imprinting and trying to overcome, imprinting and trying to overcome, imprinting and trying to overcome. Instead, as it tries to imprint, the Holy Spirit rescues. The Holy Spirit rescues. It happens right here. You see, when we are doing that as an individual, and then we find others who are also on that journey with Jesus, then we have life, true life together. It means we are aliens here from the same country. 
It means that we can find our sense of purpose together and we know that our transformation is what the world will see when they don't see anything else. And that is the most important part of any testimony is that I am different. I'm changed. I have a capacity rooted in love and, and I will not fail. I will never fail. And I don't have to hurt anybody or overcome anybody or beat anybody or anything else like that to not fail. No one has to lose for me to win. In fact, for me to win, nobody loses. My victory is not in any way tied to somebody else's failing. We share our transformation. We share a destiny. We share eternity. This is the community of God. It's a reason to hang out together. It's a reason to celebrate together. It's a reason um, It's a reason and a challenge for the busy I mentality of the U.S. See, we struggle with being in community with believers because we're from a nation where I am the center of my universe and I am a busy person and I have many responsibilities and I have things that I want to do and accomplish and unless I really have you as a part of my life, I will not see you very much. And that's kind of your story too, so we can all uh, be a part of the same tribe, the same people, but we really have no value in our community. That makes sense? I find it interesting when people of the same tribe, I'm using that generically, get together. You know, when I'm a pilot and I overhear, as I did a couple weeks ago, some guys at a table talking about flying, there's two things I know. One is I want to get in on that conversation. Here's the second thing I know, and it's actually more important than the first one. They will want me in on that conversation. And the reason I know that's true is when I'm sitting talking to someone and there's somebody that overhears us, I want them in on our conversation. They're my tribe. That's my peeps. When I'm, when I'm somewhere and I, you know, in the middle of nowhere and I, I run into a vineyard person. This happened not too long ago. I can't remember where I was. I said, oh, you're with a vineyard? I, I used to go to the vineyard when I lived over in this place. They don't have a vineyard. And I mean, it's like coming home. You're just talking about connections and people you know and things like that. See, the people of God, this is a gift for us is to have one another. Uh, Esther shared uh, several weeks ago, you know, when she came to Jesus, she had to find the only other person in her area. There was so few people that you... You get together, and there was persecution for them. That was not the religion of their village. It was not a welcomed religion. But if there's one other person that's also an alien there, 
And your job is not to beat the others or pray curses on the others, but your job is to grow and to mature and to become a force of light and life. And we succeed. I want to just, um, I want to take a minute. Kingdom people have heart. The church doesn't always have heart. But it should. So this is my encouragement today. If we could go ahead and stand.